Welcome to Alive and Thriving. My name is Jessica Reed. I am your host. I am so happy to have you here listening today. Today, I am joined by a beautiful guest. Her name is Nicole Hydes. And now before I introduce you and tell you a little bit about Nicole and about the wonderful conversation that Nicole and I have shared for this podcast, I want to let you know about a free masterclass that I am running. I have put this together uh, for women who are really wanting to learn how to tap away their mental load so that they can actually stop living on autopilot and create a life of intention and calm and inner peace. And so this masterclass is going to be really practical. It's actually running live over two days. Uh, So depending when you're listening to this, Thursday the 15th of June and Friday the 16th of June, two different times. Um, If you are listening after those dates, then reach out to me and I might be able to get you a copy of the replay. But if you're listening before that, I would love to see you come along. So we are going to be tapping at that masterclass together. We are going to be working through, first of all, EFT to come into the present moment so that you can really feel and experience what it is like to quieten your mind with EFT tapping. And then we're going to move through any kind of heavy emotions that aren't serving you, anything that you need to let go of so that you can stay living in this intentional space. And then we're going to take a look at what your resistance to self-care is because it would not be a masterclass with me if we weren't doing some sort of personal development, right? (laughs) Bring your journals. Uh, We're going to, you know, take a look at your resistance to self-care And we're going to tap about that. We're going to tap away whatever it is that you are telling yourself, you know, is standing in the way of you using tapping in your daily life if that is something that you want to be doing. So it is an EFT specific masterclass and I really cannot wait. I have put so much time and energy into making this a really, really practical and amazing experience. I cannot wait to share it with you. You can register at inspiredlifecollective.com.au forward slash masterclass or just by the link in the show notes. Now, let me introduce you to Nicole Hydes. Nicole is a holistic well-being practitioner supporting the mental health and well-being of women, mothers and caregivers who are navigating neurodiversity. So Nicole is a mother herself of five children and she first started navigating her eldest son's autism and ADHD diagnosis when he was around the age of six years old. Now, following that diagnosis, her other four children then received their own diagnosis. And then Nicole, when she turned 50, just back in December 2021, she then experienced her own inattentive ADHD diagnosis. So Nicole is a qualified advanced clinical EFT practitioner, a life coach, certified health coach and women's circle facilitator, as well as a herbal medicine student. So grab a cuppa and tune in because today's conversation is really an emotional one. We're going to hear Nicole's story. We're going to hear all about how she uses EFT to support herself as a neurodivergent parent, as well as a little bit more about her journey to her late ADHD diagnosis, her later in life ADHD diagnosis. So I can't wait to introduce you to Nicole. Let's get into it. You're listening to Alive and Thriving with Jessica Reed, the podcast that's all about empowering you to achieve optimal wellness and success through self-care, holistic practices and raw conversations. Jessica and her expert guests are here to share powerful insights and strategies to help you overcome stress and anxiety, take charge of your life and thrive in life and in business. Grab a cuppa and let's dive in. Nicole, welcome to Alive and Thriving. How are you today? 
I'm really well. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Oh, you're welcome. It's lovely to have you here. We just had the best chat before I started recording. (laughs) And the whole time I was thinking, (laughs) I should be recording this. I should be recording this. (laughs) So, Nicole. My mind goes off. Yes, (laughs) mine too. I have um, already introduced you sort of with your formal bio um, before we started chatting, but just would you like to share a little bit more with listeners? Just really, who are you? Who is Nicole? (laughs) Tell me about Nicole. Oh, my God. And it's so weird because when you see all these things written down that you've done, it's like, wow, because you don't think that you uh, you know, good enough or done on anything. But when you see and hear the bio, it's like, wow, okay, yeah, I have done stuff. Absolutely. So, and it's an impressive yeah, bio. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, my brain does, you know. But, yeah, predominantly I'm a mum, first and foremost. It's the most challenging and rewarding and the best thing I've ever done. Um, I'm a mum of five kids, five mm-hmm. neurodivergent kids, um, autism and ADHD and dyslexia and all of the spicy brain things and um, done lots of different modalities to try and piece the puzzle of their journey and in the process it's, you know, for me as well to connect mm-hmm. how I can support them and but it's taken me deeper and the pieces of the puzzle for me that I was missing. So it's, that is my main, yeah, purpose being being a mum. And now that all the kids are at school and my, he's nearly 19 or nearly 20, it's like finding me, who am I? I'm not the same person that I was before kids. Yeah. And it's, that's a whole journey in itself. So yeah, I'm still discovering and still, finding out where I go and what I'm here to do basically I guess so yeah absolutely do you know excuse me just because you know you've already sort of just brought it up in a way you're talking about the journey with your kids and how that has helped you to go deeper should we just jump straight into having a bit of a chat um about about that process for you of that later in life diagnosis. Um, so let's, and, and I think I, yeah, look, we were chatting just before and I was just saying how so many people I believe will relate to what you're about to talk about because I know so many people who just, you know, for all this time have been, telling themselves effectively that something is wrong with them or being told their whole life that something is wrong with them. And then if they enter their late 30s, their 40s, their 50s, and then now being given this ADHD diagnosis. And for some of them, it's been like, well, this makes sense, but how am I supposed to navigate this? You know, it's this whole new, it's this whole new thing. So how, Mm. let's talk about your journey. How did your I guess your journey with your children then open up this this for you yeah it's a good place so um Liam my eldest he was diagnosed when he was six with um back then um high functioning autism and ADHD the quiet type it's like I don't know what the quiet type is so this is going back probably nearly 14 years so there wasn't a lot of support like there is now which is amazing so um the autism bit it runs in our family and understood all of that um the quiet type ADHD I didn't realize wanted the pediatrician wanted to go on Ritalin and a few other things and you know that's another whole thing um and I like a lot more of the natural Mm. and he um reacted he didn't do very well anyway on the Ritalin, so it wasn't for him. A lot of people can't take medication for yeah. ADHD as well. So we had done a lot of, then all the kids started, you know, with all of their diagnoses along the years. So we I've been doing all the um, autism side and then coming into COVID, um, our yearly paediatrician appointment, you know, our paediatrician's like, okay, let's see all the kids' handwriting, blah, 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 and started basically on you know the inattentive ADHD and what that looked like Mm. and in the space of 10 minutes I was literally tears streaming down my face and you know we had seen him for you know at that stage 12 years or whatever 
my whole life mm. was in those 10 minutes and it's like wow so it basically opened up my eyes to like okay right doing all the googling tried the medication that he prescribed wanted to I was very reluctant but then very open to you know think okay so he said okay you can try it for three days to see what it's like so then you can explain to the kids this is the process Mm -hmm. it's like okay because I've been against it the whole time after seeing what you know the other did and literally the next day when I took it it was like the light switch in my brain had flipped on. Mm. I was like, wow. So this is how I'm supposed to function. Like it was mind boggling. So I went on the three days and then I went off like he suggested. And then my body was craving it. And it was very, (laughs) because it was like, addictive my brain was then okay it was switched on it was finally being able to multitask and you know it wasn't in the overwhelm and I was able to do things without Mm. yeah wow it it was amazing so that was very interesting love of feeling like my body is wanting this drug Mm. it was craving it yeah and so, so just for context, yeah. so you were, you don't have to give me your age, but you were approximately how old with your diagnosis? In what ballpark? So I'm, yeah, <laughs> I'm one. <laughs> so this was leading, it took quite a while. So I would have been, um, yeah, I think I was 48, 49. It took mm-hmm. me then um, to see a adult psychiatrist. Yeah. because they're the only ones that was a whole new ballpark figure there's the psychologists and the psychiatrists but yeah. so just are the only ones who can diagnose on the medication front mm-hmm. and again I'd been against you know yes medication for what you need but that's not my first point so uh, <laughs> it was a very interesting journey to go down that in wanting mm. the medication because of, of how it made me feel and able to do things, finish tasks, things like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was incredible. But that took probably 10 months mm-hmm. to be booked in. And this is, again, going just as COVID, the start of 2020 probably mm-hmm. leading into. Yeah. So it wasn't even like the wait list now. Some psychiatrists are uh, like months. Mm. It's incredible. So I went to him. Um, and even though all five kids were, he was like, no, you know, you're depressed. Oh, you've got anxiety, you know, here's the script for that. And, you know, then we can do the ADHD testing, things like that. But, you know, this is, you know, you're depressed. Mm. I knew I wasn't depressed. I know I've got that low level having, you know, the kids. I know that I've got long-term chronic stress, which has turned into autoimmune disease, Hashimoto's, things like that. So I know that I'm a tight rubber band anyway, ready to fling off <laughs> because you're juggling everything. Yeah. But I knew that I wasn't depressed and, you know, that wasn't why I was there. It was I knew that it was the ADHD. By the end, well, even during, but by the end, I was full flight in fight or flight mode. I was so heightened that it was like, you don't have, you know, um, childhood trauma from your ADHD. That You don't have trauma, you know. You, yeah. And, and that just set me off because I knew that I did. Everyone's got events and challenges that we've had. Some, you know, as we know, some, you know, things happen. It's not so much affects someone else but someone else you know yeah it's it's different for everyone but I knew that for years of trying to fit in trying to I knew that it was the inattentive ADHD Mm. to try and get a diagnosis later in life is so difficult 
And even more, if you've got parents who have passed away or things like that, who's going to keep records from your childhood at school? Mm, Not very many people. And that's what the psychiatrists want. They want, they need that to have the clinical dose um, diagnosis. Yeah. Even at even it was vague. Yes. Wow. Because they want to see that it's present in childhood. Okay. Mm. My goodness. After seeing another gentleman, because after that, he was the same. He only went off the notes, diagnostic notes from the first um, psychiatrist that I saw. And he was a very prominent ADHD specialist. <laughs> but, and he sees lots of, you know, people. And he, amazing. But for me, I just didn't feel listened to. And he didn't understand what it's like for a mum, particularly with, you know, kids who are also neurodivergent and all of that. He just didn't seem to understand the challenges of that. Um, so I saw another one and he just went off the first one and, again, gave me another script of something else. And it was just such a waste of time and more and more it was like it's in your head, it's depression, it's this. And, of course, you know, those diagnoses matter. I'm, I'm not at all. But I knew that's what I didn't have. That's not my, I know they're there, but it's not the underlying cause mm. that ADHD is. So I finally found a lady psychiatrist and she listened, felt validated, had a couple of sessions with her. She spoke to my elder sister who was a teacher who, you know, deals with lots of kids and, you know, helps with their diagnosis. And it was my sister, oh, and rang my mum too, but mum was like, oh, no, there's nothing wrong. She could always do this. And she, you know, <laughs> danced when she was three and, oh, you know, I don't know. And it was like, oh, my God. But my sister was the one who was like, yeah, she always struggled. She always, she doesn't finish things, everything, and mm. nothing gets done. And it was from that, that's when I was able to get the official diagnosis. Yeah, wow. And it was validating. It really, truly is. Finally, of all of these years of either trying to fit in, you know, I couldn't do the shame, you know, we're so lucky in a lot of ways now with school kids there's you know independent you know learning plans and kids can work at their either own level or there's different ways that kids learn yeah but back in when I was at school there was only one way and that was it and if you didn't learn you were either in but they had the special schools then or you know that was it you got literally hit over the knuckles or, you know, there was the feather duster when I was at school. Mm. So that, even being in class, that trauma of like, oh, my God, you don't want to get hit yeah. because you couldn't do the work. So you would copy, you would sneakily try to copy the work next to you yeah. of so you wouldn't get hit. So mm-hmm. you would. I was living with the shame of that. I couldn't do things, you know, simple tasks. But in emergency situations or anything like that, I am your go-to person. I am amazing at that. But cleaning the house, <laughs> a lot of basic things I struggle with. Okay. And, yeah, it's it's been very interesting, the process, and it's not an easy one for women to obtain that diagnosis Mm. and it's basically you're then labeled with the depression you're labeled with the anxiety yeah and yes they are comorbidities of inattentive ADHD particularly but it's not the main fundamental yeah and that was very eye-opening to see um how tricky and difficult it is and that it's all in your head Mm, of course and what a journey that you've had to be to go through just to get that diagnosis and that support and after all these years finally feel like you can function as as a you know in a way that like you said it's like wow this is what it's supposed to be like (laughs) this is is, that's right yeah wow and And it is and it's and it's not a magic pill either you know taking Mm. the medication like you still need to have strategies and tools, you know, I've got to write things down and trying to go. So, but knowing 
you know, that my brain thinks outside the box and, you know, you can actually start to (laughs) write the things down instead of them being up there and it's like, Mm. I know I've got to do that but just can't do it. It it helps on that side of things. Absolutely. And that's amazing. But being able to finish like, you know, courses all, I I don't like to read and I would like to read because I'm dyslexic, which, again, I didn't know that. But it's it's so empowering to finally have the empathy for yourself instead of mm. berating and the negative things going around and around yeah. in your head to finally give yourself a bit of slack. Like that is, yeah, it's, mm. I don't want to cry, but, <laughs> but it is, you know, when you've talked so awfully to yourself for yeah. decades to finally yeah. think, okay, that's the reason why. It is, you can finally let go of all of that emotional baggage and stuff that holds you back in everything. Yeah. And so in in letting that go, let's chat a little bit about EFT. Uh, You know, you are an EFT practitioner, but I assume that you've had to have used it or something in your life before you decided that this is something that I want to go and learn so can you talk me through mm. how you were introduced to tapping? I um, very much on listening to, you know, intuitive and gut and gut feelings, things like that. Never used to be, but along the journey of wellness and trying to find techniques to calm because having an autoimmune disease, particularly Hashimoto's, it is triggered by stress and particularly with the kids it's like I've had to find ways to you know feel calm yeah of course so I was looking at doing um hypnotherapy Mm -hmm. seemed to be you know it's like yeah I was following that path and looking at everything as the ADHD brain does sorting it all out and then I'd heard of EFT a couple of times didn't really know what it was Mm -hmm. and then it was like the little whisper look look into that Looked down the EFT. Okay, so I followed the voice, started looking at EFT and all the different courses and then found one. And I literally signed up with the practitioner course without really knowing anything about EFT. Okay. I I just knew that that was where I was directed to go. That was the next thing for the piece of my puzzle to help. Mm how I didn't know really then why but I do now and (laughs) that's how it basically went thrown into the beginner call and you start doing EFT it was like oh my god but from that moment was that during your diagnosis process like was that during that process that you were going through was this after you've been through this it was actually I had been on the wait list Mm -hmm. yes so within our in the course you are put into the little your group mm-hmm. two other buddies your little triad group and um i remember one of the sessions they we did and it was after i had my um yeah met with the specialist <laughs> and yeah that was huge yeah so yeah, I remember that at the end. But, I, yeah, I d- didn't have my diagnosis when I first started. But it's mm-hmm. the first course that I've actually been able to complete oh, well in done. any time. <laughs> and that's, <laughs> that's a big thing. And then it's like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's a and big thing. Like, yeah. And it's like, yeah, but I hadn't. Yeah. Yeah, right. Mm, but wow. I completed it. So, yeah. So, yeah, it's very interesting. I hadn't thought about that. But, yeah, I'd been on the, the um the wait list to book my appointment. Yeah. Mm. And so that's so, how I was introduced to EFT. Yeah, right. So when I said earlier, oh, I assume you've used tapping before you became a practitioner, <laughs> I was like, way off base. But um, how yeah. can you hear? Well, you think you would, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's amazing. I love hearing people's stories. <laughs> like you hear some people be like, oh, I just, um, you know, I just scrolled past it on Instagram or I just was Googling things and it popped up, um, you know, but for some reason for so many people, especially ones who do go on to become a practitioner, you know, it is this that that nudge that like, yeah, we need this. I need this in my life. I'm not sure why yet. I'm not sure exactly what capacity, but I know that I need this. 
I know for me, I became a practitioner at first purely to help myself, like purely because I was like, oh, well, I'm going to use this because I've had such relief from it. Uh, you know, and so I went into the training thinking, oh, this, this would be a, a cool thing to take back to my leadership role. You know, oh. like I, I never, um, yeah, yeah. I didn't go in with that intention. And so I think, you know, you go in and then the plans, they just, they just happen, don't they? <laughs> they so do. how do you use tapping? How do you use EFT, uh, you know, with your beautiful ADHD brain? How do you use tapping to support yourself in your day-to-day life um you mentioned also you know healing and releasing some of the the trauma and the and the things the shame and the associations that have come with not having your diagnosis yet how are you using tapping really specifically I guess for your neurodivergent diagnosis oh good question it's interesting because it's it's hasn't been like a long time, um, but it feels like that how far and how deep I've gone. Like I didn't want to do a lot of inner work mm-hmm. beforehand. It was like go to the surface level. It's like, okay, that's enough. But I love going deep and EFT has been the modality that actually allows me to go deep and in that safe space. Mm-hmm. Having autoimmune, again, with the thyroid, on a spiritual level, that's, you know, your throat. You don't want to speak up. You don't want to say things. And it's so uncanny when I think about it because it's like, you know, you push your emotions down all the way through my childhood, you know, didn't want to speak out, didn't want to say that I couldn't do things or, Mm. you know, I can't or don't like reading a book or I can't remember what I just read and then I can tell you what I read. That's you know, you don't want to share those things. So a lot of those emotions that I've pushed down is all throat. Mm. So within my, the training, it was very much um, starting that healing of the shame. And it, was, it wasn't necessarily then of different, you know, like I need to be organised or how can I organise myself or I'm overwhelmed or I'm, you know, stressed. It was more the events, mm. particularly there was one um, when I was in grade three um, with the teacher who had the feather duster back then. And I remember one of those sessions that we did as a student, it was going back then of the shame and then saying, well, it was lucky you were moving. We were relocating from New South Wales to Queensland because if we weren't, I would be the one repeating because I wasn't, you know, very smart or good or anything. And I remember that. And they were my, you know, friends, you know, and that's now my second youngest age. She's in year three this year. And I remembered it like it was still yesterday. Yeah. And it was like starting to work on those events and taking the triggers out mm-hmm. of the shame, the fear of speaking up the fear, you know, the self-worth, not being able to do or learn things. Yeah. So that was probably the start of it more than now where it's like, you know, I'm overwhelmed how, you know, how can I get out of my head and and concentrate, mm-hmm. um, which is what I can do now. You know, yeah. five, ten minutes, it's like, okay, get in the zone to mm-hmm. start tapping on the points to just I'm stressed, I'm feeling it, you know, one of the kids had, you know, a meltdown or it was, you know, hard. I can just specifically go where I'm needing to go in that moment. Do you use it with your kids? I think you need to both. I do. I try to. Sometimes I do a bit of surrogate tapping because they're like, oh, they don't want to do that. (laughs) But uh, (laughs) it's like, oh, my God. I did when I was training, when I was doing it, I was working on the kids, Uh, particularly my eldest. We would do it in the car. (laughs) And he was like, oh, my God. But they could feel it was working. Mm. Um, And that was really cool to see. And I just keep reminding them about, anything else if you're in a situation just tap here on your collarbone yeah anything else just (laughs) that you can just breathe yeah Yeah. so 
sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. But, you know, I, I don't like to do tapping without their knowledge, but I, I have done the surrogate just like, but yeah. I think that's more for me too to keep me, you know, in a certain situation <laughs> yeah. to calm me. Keep your head above water. Because it's, it is. And, and as, you know, they're getting older and you've been their voice and advocate, you know, um, my 15-year-old daughter was nonverbal until she was four and a half. So I was literally her voice speaking up for her. And as she's grown, she's doing amazing now. She's on gravel and doing all sorts of things. But it's hard as my role changes to step. I need to work on me not having to be there as mm. in that capacity like it was. So that changes. And get, coming back to EFT, it's just always there. It's this amazing thing on the end of our fingertips that we literally can do anytime, anywhere. Yeah. Absolutely. In any situation, really. It doesn't have yeah. to be the big thing. It can just be, I'm feeling sad. I don't know why I'm feeling sad, but it's just, I just feel something in my body yeah. right now yeah. that I'm being sensitive to. It's just, you know. Yeah. Absolutely. It's, it's literally changed my my whole life. Oh, I, I can't, that. you know. Yeah. I love hearing that. Yeah. So as a EFT practitioner, um, and this I guess could be answered for you or for clients, what is the most unique thing that you would say that you've used tapping for? <laughs> um, there's a lot. There was <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I was volunteering um, on a... Um, yeah, a self-help page um, for people with mandates and things like that of who have either lost jobs or just life with yeah. stress and things like that. So um, it was helping build my skills up as well. And there was a gentleman um, that um, was connected then with me and he was blind and he was also neurodivergent. Um, he had um, autism and so I was um, tapping with him on the phone mm -hmm. because he couldn't see me anyway so that was his way of being able to communicate was on the phone mm -hmm. and that was so interesting because I've done all sessions face to face because even whether they're online or in person it's the same you can mm -hmm. just read facial expressions you can see just a twinge of the shoulder or something you know it just gives you that feedback that there's energy shifting where on the phone I couldn't do that with him mm. and he was so skeptical all he wanted to do was just talk like a counseling session and that was fine <laughs> it's, it's hard for my, people I'm to get their head around that, that sometimes way. isn't it you know? <laughs> it is it's a really active counseling um, session <laughs> Yeah, and it was like trying to explain the tapping points, like we'll just tap here and, and it was all too much. So I just literally got him to tap on the collarbone as mm -hmm. I was talking to help ground me. But for him, at the start of the call, he was so like a million miles an hour mm -hmm. trying to get everything out, you know, because he was so used to being cut off. Okay, this is it, um, you know. And by the end, he was calm. He was like, mm. I don't know. I kept tapping. He didn't because it was just all a bit too like. Oh. <laughs> but he's like, I, I'm feeling calmer. And you could hear it in his voice that he was calmer. Mm. And it still blows me away that however it works, really, mm. it does work. Yeah. Um. It was, yeah, that was very cool, I have to say, as a learning as well, but being able to connect that way with him yeah. in what he needed, um, still feel that connection through the phone yeah. and feel the energy shift and be able to express what he was feeling and the frustration yeah. um, from his parents and things like that. Yeah. Um, and he was in his 50s as well. So, so you know, for a long time being put in the, the box of, you know, can't really do things, you know, mm -hmm. that kind of thing. So it was, yeah, it was amazing. Mm. 
Do you have for you like a pivotal moment, something that really stands out in terms of a big release? You know, something that that oh. you had, and I know you're probably thinking, "Oh, there's so many now." But is there any? Is there any big? Is there any big one that really stands out for you? Um, I've got a few. <laughs> like there was a few, and it's still a work in progress. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it's always tricky. I don't know. Um. There was one personally where I was really little. Um, I was three or four um, and I remember back then um, was with my mum and we went to see my dad, collected his paycheck and everything was in cash back then and we were walking and we, I needed to go to the toilet, went to a just a public toilet block. This was in Gosford in Sydney and I still remember it. Even though I was little, I still remember you know, walking through the beautiful garden and all the bricks and had all the flowers there and going to the toilet. So we were there um, in the cubicle and I remember sitting on the toilet and my mum's handbag was stolen Mm -hmm. under the, a lady got a hook and then stole the bag and then ran And I still remember that. Wow. Yeah. And it connected that even now as an adult, never having any money, always not worthy of money, get money, spend it, that kind of thing. Yeah. And it was related back to that event mm. that it was my fault. And I, I've, <laughs> I kind of cry. I'm not triggered like I was and I mm. still work on it. Um. But it was very pivotal that it was my fault. You know, all that money for the week had gone. We didn't have then any cash to buy groceries, which was what we were going to do after I went to the toilet. Yeah. And I don't know what happened next, whether, you know, my mum blamed me. I don't know. But I took it on that it was my fault. Yeah. And it was because, you know, if I didn't have to go to the toilet, then we wouldn't be in that situation. Mm. She got caught. The bag was in, left, took all the money, obviously, but uh, it was math. That was one big one as well Mm. of seeing it then as an adult. Well, she might have had dependent kids and she was trying to need money and and things like that. And she might not have necessarily wanted to do that either and the on-flow that it caused. Mm. But as a adult, you can see that, you know, the, all the rationals and you can go through oh, yeah. it all. And it's you can, like, you can yeah, logic all you, know. you like. <laughs> but when your emotional yeah. child brain is, is in the conscious mind. In there. Yeah. It doesn't. And you can still feel that wound. You can transport yourself and you feel the right. I can feel it rising. Mm. And even though, like, I've still, it's been brought up a lot, you know, with, yeah, having five kids and everything's rising in the costs at the moment, which is, it's still there and it's still mm-hmm. something that I need to still work on. Yeah. But I'm triggered and I can talk about that event somewhat without crying, but <laughs> that was a big one yeah. <laughs> that I remember of taking on all those emotions. Yeah. Um, and grown up things, yeah. Even then, yeah. Um, and carrying it all the way through my whole life—that yeah. was my fault. It's um, so amazing how we can yeah. go back with EFT into you know that inner child work. Um, and there's so many different approaches to doing it as well. But just so phenomenal oh. that tapping can be so powerful to go back in and really help to heal those inner child inner child wounds and help to express the emotion, you know, that, that needs to be expressed from that inner child and bring safety to them as well. It's, it's just, totally. we can use it, you know, for that stress in the, in the present day. And, and I like to call it like an emotional, uh, emotional first aid, you know, like you can use it for when mm. you really need it. Um, but you can also go back and you can go in and you can do that deep healing and you can revisit those old wounds in a way that you're bringing safety to and helping your brain to reprocess, you know, 
how it has initially filed those memories and then made all of these associations. Like you said, your whole life, well, I'm not worthy of money, you know, all these stories that had come from this one event. Oh, goodness. Um, I know. Yeah. And it is. And having and being able to learn the technique of EFT is basically like that first aid. You can do it every day, yeah. any moment that you need it. And it's incredible. But a lot of those things, I wouldn't have gone as deep without someone holding space for me. Absolutely. To go yeah. there. And I think that's where EFT, again, is incredible when you have that person practitioner whoever that you can connect with yeah that can hold that space for you and take you there um because we can do all that first aid work on ourselves, but our body wants to keep us safe it doesn't want to go and relive relive all those because we are transported right back there yeah and it takes courage doesn't it to to want to go there Absolutely, it does. Especially when you've been, if you've been through experiences, I know for me, there was, I had a lot of, um, you know, like clinical psychology and other treatments before I moved into alternative therapies. And what always really put me off was the fact that when I'd be talking about something, I would have those fear responses in my body. And that would then lead to more fear responses after I left. And I just had no way to self-regulate afterwards and I think for so many people that I know of you know they go and they don't want to go and feel these feelings (laughs) that's right (laughs) that's right and that's exactly you know when I think about that um when I was having my initial consult with my um psychiatrist for the first time that's exactly where I was and I you know mentioned about EFT and that I had done all this stuff and he was like well you know basically poo-hooing it and there's no science in that and it's you know that can't help blah 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 which then you know more response if I had started doing EFT in there maybe he would have locked locked me up there and then who knows but (laughs) it would have helped calm the fight or flight response because that's initially what I went straight into because it was like I could feel the barriers coming up of all that fear and being able to open up to someone particularly if you're going through ADHD diagnosis you're already putting yourself out there anyway that it's like I feel this is what it is and then when you're getting that rejection like oh no it is that protective barrier that it's like, you know, the little turd putting their nose, you know, their head out there. It's like, okay, I'm just going to feel my way. I know what it is, but then it's like straight away. Yeah. EFT, again, is just helps us. And I think that's more and more, you know, even psychi- psychologists are doing EFT mm. as part of their practice. And I think that is absolutely fabulous yeah. because even with COVID and things like that, having that connection and interaction is what we've all missed, being able to talk and connect. And I think, again, with EFT, you can do both. You can tap and not even say anything and just let those stuck emotions come out, and that's amazing. But to be able to tap and keep yourself calm whilst talking I think that's really where the secret source is because you're hearing it, you're releasing it, you're getting it out. And the more that it can be recognized and, you know, our mainstream can validate that. It's it's amazing. You know, that's what we all need because wait lists are huge at the moment. Absolutely. I um. Apologize. I thought I had muted myself when I had my little coughing fit just before. <laughs> and then yeah, I looked and I'm like, I'm not, I'm not <laughs> muted. So sorry if you're wearing <laughs> earphones and you're listening to this. <laughs> I am recovering from That's a headache. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love how much yeah. um, I love how much evidence is coming out on EFT now. You know, there is new studies being published, oh. what seems like every couple of weeks. 
um, you know, showing its efficacy in areas that are normally only traditionally set aside for things like cognitive behavioral therapy and, and, you know, the, the, what they call the gold standard psychological treatments and EFT is just shining up against all of these treatments. So, you know, I love, yeah, I love areas like we, you, you, you tap and you know, you know, you feel something's happening, you know, something's happening, but it's so amazing, particularly as a practitioner, to be able to know that we have this evidence now, this, you know, all oh. of these scientific evidence to show that that what what we are doing and what we are teaching and what we are facilitating healing with, you know, that there's actually oh. there's, there's real hard evidence there that shows that this is how it's working, this is why it's working, uh, and and these are the the long term long term results. That people are finding after using EFT. Yeah. It's phenomenal. And it's amazing, isn't it? Because that's what, you know, yes, when you see the practitioner hat on, you can see the change in the face from the start to the end. You can see the heaviness just go from your shoulders. You know, it it is amazing seeing that. Yeah. Um, but also without like like it is fantastic seeing that, you know, all the studies done, um, of course. But on the other side of the coin where you are struggling and drowning and you need something and you can feel that it's giving you relief, whatever it is, whether it's stress or I don't know. I mean, that's the thing. It's like you don't care whether there's, you know, scientific papers done on it. Yeah, because it works. In a way, it feels when good. you feel yeah. it's like I can feel it. Yeah, it, okay. and it's and it's so different. And it's even so, it's it's I don't know, but it's just to be able to know that there's something there that can help in you know, absolutely deal with it, the stress or you know having kids. You know, yeah, absolutely. So um, amazing and important. And something so versatile too, you know, it could be a self, self-applied self self-help tool, something to self-soothe, but also something that you can go deep with in that therapeutic setting as well, you know, something that is so versatile um, and so effective in, in areas like trauma and anxiety and uh, phobias. I was having a conversation yesterday uh. with somebody uh, who was talking about their arachnophobia and how one session of tapping had had eradicated that for her um obviously disclaimer there's, there's no minimum or maximum yeah know, everybody's story is different that's right everyone's different um, but you know I, I was just actually thinking I just remembered when we were doing our practitioner training I hope I don't start coughing again so I've got a tickle when we're doing our practitioner training um there was a class on cravings and I oh yeah <laughs> I went I turned up to the class and I didn't really read like the prerequisite. And so I didn't bring a thing with me. Um, you're supposed to bring like a food, you know, something that you oh, that you want to get rid of. So I sat down to the class and I was like, oh, I need something. So I just ran to the cupboard and I grabbed a jar of Nutella. Now I was having like a big scoop of Nutella every single night, every night. The kids would go to bed. It was, mm. I think it was just my... I don't know, it was my treat, it was my release, it was my, like I was having a huge every night, exactly. And anyway, so I I was like, oh, I'll do it with this, not really thinking much of it. (laughs) I've never been able to have Nutella. Like I loved it. I loved Nutella, but I'm also being ready to give it up. Like I have never been able to have Nutella again. Uh, I was like that. I had to, I did it with um, Coke soft drink. I was drinking, again, like the health on everything else, but that was seemed to be my crux, whether it was the caffeine, I don't know, the sugar. But I did that and I have not been able to have any kind of Coke since I did that tapping mm-hmm. workshop on the cravings. It was like, whoa. And even now I think, oh, yeah, that nice cold glass of Coke, I can't, I I just can't do it. And it's not that I'm stopping myself. It's just, it's just, I don't need it or I don't, it's, there's no attachment to it like there was where it 
was that fix. Mm. It's so bizarre. But just again to show how versatile um, it can be, you know, for me it was Nutella, for you it's Coke. We've talked about anxiety. We've talked about PTSD. We've talked about supporting a neurodivergent mind. We've talked about all these things, um, you know, how versatile tapping tapping can really can really be and be and a lot of times too when you were talking about the trauma and whatnot a lot of people don't even think they've got trauma or they've know that you know the you know the event they were in whether it was a car accident or something that is what has you know caused a lot of things that they're dealing with at the moment, but they don't realise that the connection or, mm. yeah. And that's, I found so fascinating as well. It's like, you know, you can, clients can come in and they start with this, but it takes you on such a <laughs> wild journey that it connects <laughs> to a story from wherever. And you don't think it is connected, but then the light bulb and you can, oh, I remember when blah, blah, blah. And it's, yeah. it's like, oh, my God, that connection. Yeah. Uh, and that's so funny how that takes you on these little winding paths. But, you know, it, it's, yeah, I don't know. We don't know what we've got until it sort of comes out, hey. Absolutely. And you just start releasing and letting go. Absolutely. And, and just going with it you know being curious and having that open open heart and knowing that you're you're held and you're safe to to explore that Mm. um and just yeah go with it to see where it leads you because your body if you start to listen to the little whispers and little things that come in tapping it will let you know why it's coming up and it's more times than it's related so yeah. I, I always find that such a spin out that again, <laughs> however it works, it's just, yeah, it, it is amazing. Oh, it so. is. It is. Once you get into that energy side of things, all oh, the things that can come up is just phenomenal, isn't it? I know, uh, Nicole, you are a bit like me. You work with multiple modalities when you work with clients. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about what you do and tell us about the Fem Shed as well, if you can? Uh, <laughs> thank you um it's still coming together like any brain it's like I've got the big visions and I've you know seen all the bits and pieces and it's just trying to backtrack and take one step at a time but the fem shed for me is really a place that I envisaged in supporting other women and carers particularly who are navigating their neurodivergent Mm. journey whether that's you know through their kids and you know the stresses and like you've got the highs and lows of anything but even more as a mum navigating kids with extra challenges and then more times than not you probably find out when you start ticking the boxes it's like oh my god I I've got that I you know and then either you have your diagnosis and want to you know find you know go down that path but um yeah, that's really what I envisage the FemShed is, that safe place of uh, online hub as well as in person um, just to be able to have a place to connect with other women going through the same thing, you know, because, yeah, there is so much support, particularly in the neurodivergent world of autism and ADHD, mostly autism. ADHD, I think, for women is now really starting to come out Mm. um I think a lot of women are like oh my god this is now what I've had um but everything seems to be aimed at the kids how we can support the kids the kids go to therapy how many times a week yeah that's amazing and I've seen both sides you know with funding and NDIS how that can help but if you're burnt out as a mum yeah how are you going to even get your kids to, you know, to therapies or, you know. I always found if I'm calm, the kids are calm. Everything flows as a family. Still chaotic, but 
that it's huge. So that's where I, I'm feeling, you know, the Fem Shed will take hold. It's very much that supportive area of being seen, being validated, being heard and being supported amongst other women who just, you don't have to say I'm sorry or that look of empathy. You just know that they get it. Everyone's journey is very different. All kids are, you know, and all different parts, you know, some nonverbal, verbal, wherever. There's all a struggle and no journey is bigger or less than than someone else's. Mm. But being held and being seen, it's such a lonely place sometimes being an additional parent, even within your own family. Like, again, it's so much the support now. But back then it was like my kids, all they were seeing and what I was told is like, oh, they just need a good smack Mm. or, you know, going out shopping if, you know, Charlotte, she's now 15, having a meltdown of something Mm. because she was nonverbal when she was still four and a half. It's like people, the looks they would give you, you know, not of only a kid, how naughty they were, but you as a parent, you know, that questioning your parenting side that, you know, you can't even control you. There is so much pressure, you know, trying to do it all, be it all for your kids, and it's just exhausting yeah yeah so, so the i've fem, still the got fem shed here, is a safe space for somebody to be to just be to be held be. safe to just be yeah 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 and then do a bit of tapping to just have those technique to be able to do that first aid on yourself yeah. you know when everything is too much even when you know you're hiding in the toilet for a bit of five minutes peace <laughs> and it's still banging on the door like you know ah, it's just even that you know to be able to just sit there and just it's okay <sighs> I've got you that's where I really feel because if we're happy and we're functioning it unflows to our whole family yeah. our kids then we're the role model for our kids if we tap then they're seeing that and they can see, you know, instead of like particularly at the start of I was had the mask on, I've got it all, I'm, I didn't want the kids to know that I was losing it yeah. <laughs> as you do. But now it's like I just I need five minutes. I, I'm, you know, having a tear. They're like, are you crying? Yes. Yeah. Mm. I'm just, it's a bit overwhelming at the moment. And I you know say that now where I did it before yeah so that's we're giving them strategies for our kids too yeah absolutely you know everything that we can do on ourselves they can see that oh it's okay to look after ourselves it's okay to not have everyday rosy and it's all fine and have the mask on that we know that we can get whatever tools smelling some essential oils or going for a walk or doing EFT having all those little things in our toolbox that we can just grab on those days that we just need someone to hold our hand when, you know, they're either there or not there, but you just know that you're supported no matter what. So that's where I'm coming together as a beautiful comes. Sounds like it's going to come together as a beautiful place. Yeah. Thanks. So thank you. I hope so. You know, I, Again, it's like wait lists are so long at the moment um, Mm. for kids as well as adults and to be able to have something that we can, you know, help support ourselves and keep calm and um, have that connection, you know, because we're just so used to that it's everything's fine, you know. We don't want to show our vulnerability, that we've got it all together. But if we let go and just ask don't we people are always there but we don't want to get to that point do we really to say that it's okay Mm. to ask for help or to ask that you need support you know I don't know why we do that no and that's that's for anyone you know that's for for men that's for anyone you know we just don't want to say that we're struggling 
Yeah. And that's got to change because that's not what we want out for our kids. Mm. You know, we want them to be able to verbalise or ask or just need a hug or something, you know. So everything that we do on us, it, it impacts for the kids too and they see that. And that's what we want. We want our kids to be able to have, you know, be resilient in this world. Crazy, crazy. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, um, because we're not going to be there. Yeah. yeah. Nicole, how can people work with mm. you? So I do one-on-one. I've got limited one-on-ones because, I, you know, around the kids. Um, so I've got that, but I'm also uh, setting up a group membership for the, through the FemShed, um, so femshed.com.au. Um, they can reach me that way. And um, it's just a low-cost month dip that, yeah, in a private Facebook page that we can tap and do other bits and pieces well. Um, just to have that, you know, area that people can come in different ways and however they need support. Amazing. Oh, thank you so yeah. much, Nicole, for coming on today and for thank being you. so open and vulnerable and and sharing so much of what you've been through. It's really been an honour to listen to your story and, and I know that so many people listening will get so much out of what you've shared today. Oh, and thank you you know so much for holding the space for me um so really yeah validate that thank you so much wow what a journey it's been today we are so grateful for each and every one of you who tuned in to alive and thriving if you enjoyed this episode and want to help us keep growing please consider subscribing and leaving a review on your favorite platform it's a simple but powerful way to support a small business like ours to continue to make an impact 